Think about ways that uh, you can slice a cake. No one slices a cake horizontally. Yeah. Welcome to The Cutdown, a podcast all about the art of trailer editing. This is episode number 11. I'm Derek Liu. And I'm Rick Thomas. Yeah, we're 11 episodes in, and uh, thank you guys for um, carrying on listening. Uh, today, we're going to dive into a few trailers and also talk about what inspires us as trailer editors. The trailers that came out recently, first one most recently since we're recording this, is the new trailer for Bad Boys for Life. I'm done, Mike. I'm retiring. Uh-oh, here we go again. You want your legacy to be muscle shirts and body counts? The third movie, I guess, in a Bad Boys trilogy now. Uh, it's been 16 years since Bad Boys 2. And actually, I have a bit of a personal connection because the trailer for Bad Boys 2 was edited at the house that I worked at when I was an assistant uh, 16 years ago, apparently. <laughs> Wow, so what, you were there when they were cutting the trailer for for Bad Boys 2? Yeah, I I distinctly remember some little stories from that. Uh, Like the first teaser has a special shot, which is not in the movie, where the the camera does this like rotating back uh, in like uh, 360 degrees between Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and whoever they're shooting at. This is all your fault! Can we please talk about this later? totally not in the movie at all oh that's amazing because that's like the iconic bad boy shot right i mean it's a very it's the michael bay shot basically yeah it's a very michael bay to just have the camera rotating either just around something or just just doing fancy stuff like that yeah there's a brilliant um video uh video essay on youtube about what bayhem is and it's filling the screen with as much stuff as possible things in the foreground and things exploding and like and actually that he's like a very accomplished visual uh filmmaker yeah, and like a lot of parallax, that sort of thing. Yeah, which is interesting, actually, because it's kind of like, this isn't directed by him, but it's kind of aping that style. And interestingly, what I really like about this teaser is um, the first shot, which kind of does exactly that shot. It's like a a slow, low-angle pan around a car. Right, and then it ends on the, the little joke. Yeah, it's like a rug pull. I like it. It's like we said, we, we've been declaring the death of the rug pull, but this is like a rug pull to a joke. Like you're expecting it to be some cool moment and then he gets out and hits a fire hydrant. Hey! Oh, shit. Oh. Come on, man. You can get that buffed out. No, you can get that buffed out. Yeah, and in doing that, it really fits the vibe of the films, which is the the cool contrasted with the the silliness. It's an interesting structure, and it kind of sets sets forward from that point of the rug pull, and then it's kind of these musical accents. It samples the 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 Bad Boys music, which I don't know if, what's the actual name of it, but you know, it's the music from Cops. Um, and I, I was thinking to myself after watching this trailer a couple of times that, you know, this was the opportunity to make the epic version of this song, but they just, they just hinted at it here and there using it as a little accent. I thought it would be really funny to hear what would be the slow cover version. The slow version would be something like, bad boys. What you gonna do? Wow, well, they, they can use that for Trader too. You've done it now. Oh, God. Please, no. Um, which is interesting, actually. I, I mean, they've kind of gone the other direction. They've gone, like, trailer rap 
remix way of it, which has real swagger. Like this entire trailer is just full of swagger. Um, and I actually like what they've done with the music, like we were saying with the accents. It's kind of accent and then like long skit with a kind of drone pulse underneath it, but they play out these scenes for a long time and then they'll come back to the music for an accent. In these streets, I never trusted anybody but me. I'm asking you, man. Bad boys. It kind of creates this really interesting structure where you're waiting for it to get going, but they kind of drop out for these big moments. They're funny and it works really successfully. Or it's uh, Joe... Panta, Pantaleone? Pantoliano? Pantoliano. Look at this mess, it's carnage! I didn't do all this. You didn't shoot anybody? Well, come on, Cap, you know I shot some people. Yeah. Joey Pants. Joey Pants. Yeah, is that from something? Because someone else said Joey Pants. Joey Pants? I think that's just his nickname. Oh, cool. Yes, Joey, Joey Pants, um, who I know from Memento and The Matrix. Um, doing his uh, saying fuck about 20 times, which I think means that I don't think there is a green band for this. Fuck me! Fuck! 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 Right, right. The the structure you're talking about speaks to other things that we've been talking about, which is just having scenes which play out longer. Uh, I was watching, rewatching the Bad Boys 2 trailers, which are very much more the traditional style of, you know, a really short scene, cut up and accents, that sort of thing. Um, not to say that there aren't things that aren't played out entirely. The the first teaser, actually, I wonder how it would have played nowadays because the very beginning of that opens with uh, a cross burning at a KKK meeting. It would certainly be uh, more topical today. White power! White power! White power! Oopsie daisy! It's well, it's interesting. They're playing with it. I mean, you have got the we're black cops, but don't worry, we'll pull ourselves over after this. Like, right. you know, it is doing that kind of playful, playful, confident thing that they kind of seem to be able to get away with, which works really well here. We're not just black, we're cops too. We'll pull ourselves over later. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a kind of fun piece that, you know, there's minimal story, but there are elements of story there that you can pick up that, you know, like it's been a while that they're doing this and they're kind of rogue cops like they always were and... Yeah, it's just more of what you would expect from a Bad Boys movie, and this seemed to be doing just that. Was there any copy? I think it was just the cast run, right? So, like, real kind of teaser, just... Yeah, yeah, no copy, just the the cast run and the titles. And actually, the the button calls back... I guess it calls back the Bad Boys 2, but the first teaser, the button, was them singing the song. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when we come for you? It's next to five, it's next to Miss Nose, hey. Dude, you gotta learn the words. We usually only do the chorus. That's a great callback, then. <laughs> well, they really, really put some thought into that. Yeah, this was cut by a trailer agency called AV Squad, and they're, you know, they're really known for these kind of accenty things. They did a lot on Hobbs and Shaw. The minute I saw this, I was like, this is an AV Squad trailer. Um, they really have that kind of brand. For using, doing interesting things with music. Doing interesting things with music, great accents, great action, very kind of rhythmic cutting and these big, confident, swaggery kind of pieces. Uh, and another trailer that's gone down really well online is the final trailer. It's marked as such. It's called it's, um, called final trailer for Joker. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, a lot of people talking about this. Uh, just I guess people really like the trailer. Also, people talking about it because the I th- I've seen some debates online about just the the whole idea of treating the character this way 
of saying like, oh, do we really want to know that the Joker went bad because uh, he was a lonely person who got made fun of and treated badly by society and therefore, you know, became a serial killer? Yeah, what's the joke online that um, in the uh, in Tim Burton's Batman, it was how to make the Joker throw him in acid, and in this one, it's uh, throw him into society. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious what the movie is going to be like, because of course, something like that, like sympathizing with someone who is so awful in such a way that maybe uh, it could be very problematic. So I'm curious what the movie's depiction is like, because just from the trailer, um, it's very, very sympathetic, of course. Um, to the character but it seems you know it's kind of you can tell um it's kind of wearing its origins on its sleeve and you can tell the kind of taxi driver influence which is that very kind of anti-hero made to feel sympathetic to that character but that character may not be kind of squeaky clean kind of thing so it, it feels very kind of in line with where it's come from yeah and this also this feels very much we were talking before about trailers which feel a little bit like sequels this does feel like a sequel to the first teaser because pretty much the first teaser is him getting beat up all the time and then by the end there's a reveal but this one they get into him being joker much sooner and showing sort of the mayhem that he's causing through all this so he's more on top in this one giving a, a better idea of I don't know, I guess, what he's going to be doing. Yeah, it's good. I like it. I, the, my main kind of takeaway from this this trailer is kind of music and the, the slow build that it has, this kind of cold open with slight tension. It's a kind of music boxy type cue that then kind of builds. I feel like it's the same cue throughout. I don't know what it is, actually. Um, I don't think it's some version of Send in the Clowns, which is the kind of refrain that we have at the end of the trailer. Send in the clowns. Yeah, but it's a kind of slow build through the entire thing and it's got this kind of tension and there's a there's a brilliant shot I love of him at the top kind of fixing his shoe and he's literally like squeezing the leather on his shoe and it's kind of squeaking and it's it's like a bit of a metaphor for his character is he's kind of pent up frustrated kind of kind of character. Yeah, pent up is a good word because when you say epic music, it can swing many different ways and either it's just big and bombastic or it can be this sort of music which it's big but it's in a way it's more simmering another good example that comes to mind is i think the first jj abrams star trek had i think it was a production music cue but it, it found it was one of those cues which when you're editing to it you're not editing like on the beat because there aren't big drums that sort of thing but it's just this sort of grandeur to it that blends itself to i don't know if loose editing is the right word but it's it's less, you know, just snappy and on the beat sort of thing. It's kind of orchestral. It's these big kind of orchestral like waves of, of stuff. I love that track. I think that track is called maybe Moving Mountains or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. After um, after that Star Trek trailer came out, the library was like, no one else can use this cue for a couple of years because it's been so kind of iconic and maybe they were holding it back for uh, the second Star Trek movie, but um, they, never, they never used it again. But fair enough that... You know, it's become that kind of iconic song of the... It's rare that I've, I've had that happen, actually. Your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives. Including yours. I dare you to do better. Enlist in Starfleet. 
But I like um, I like in the Joker trailer how it's got that simmering tension throughout, and then it kind of goes almost counterpoint at the end. And at the moment where the violence kind of breaks forth, it's got this kind of not cartoony, but you know, like a real kind of clownish, happy orchestral kind of thing. It's a real interesting progression. Yeah, I think it does a really good job for what it appears that they're trying to do with this trailer. And talking about trailers that do something interesting musically, um, uh, recently a trailer, an A24 trailer came out for uh, the film Waves. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not rude. It doesn't boast. Love also forgets wrong. Um, I don't have a huge amount to, to talk about with this trailer, except that musically, again, it was really it was really interesting because we've talked a lot about trailer rescoring and um, trailerizing cues, and it's often kind of taking an existing cue. And uh, so, like we talked a couple of episodes ago about the the Knives Out trailer, where they take the Frank Sinatra song and kind of trailerize it and and work with it, or the John Wick Parabellum um, with the Impossible Dream, you know, to kind of turn it into a more conventional action-y trailer cue to help you to cut in a certain way. This trailer takes the Frank Ocean cue and kind of trailerizes it to make it more emotional to get to this point where it's kind of M83 and sweeping and and I didn't know that it was a Frank Ocean cue and I went back to the YouTube comments and people said, oh, it's this Godspeed cue by Frank Ocean and I listened to the original cue and I thought, I was wondering whether it did that because then I was like, well, this is a perfect cue for a trailer and why has no one put it on before and then I realised the guys at Grandson I think it was a similar team that was behind the A Star Is Born trailer actually had kind of gone out to a composer and, and rescored this I haven't heard the original cue what did they do to it that um, in this case made it trailerized but maybe not in the way we were talking about before yeah so the original cue I think is is kind of closer to the front of the trailer that kind of sparse lines but it doesn't actually kind of build I will always love you how I do It's been hard, hasn't it? Let go of a prayer for you Kind of at the halfway point of the trailer where you go into this big kind of sweeping cue that wasn't in the original. So they've kind of used the beginning as a kind of jumping off point, but it packs a real kind of emotional punch and is probably a very A24 trailer in, in its kind of... I've seen people mention A24 trailers a lot, and maybe that's a future topic for another episode, you know, because uh, as far as I know, they don't just work with one trailer house, so it'd be interesting to kind of break down what people are saying when they say, oh, it's an A24 trailer. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily like a house A24 style. It's not like every trailer has festival laurels and reviews, you know. I think it's more that just, you know, you can they have a, a particular aesthetic as a film company and you see something come up and you go, oh, that looks, you know, very A24. Or maybe that could just be a bigger conversation about like studios having uh, some sort of style or trying to push the style that's somewhat either consistent or indicative of what they're going for. Yeah, and that's interesting, actually, talking about kind of sets of, of trailers. And, and that kind of leads to the, the topic that we wanted to talk about today, um, which is kind of what inspires us as, um, as trailer editors. So, Derek, what, um, 
what do you look for in terms of, of stuff that kind of creatively inspires you? Yeah, I wanted to talk about this because I think it's good to talk about how we watch trailers since we're professional trailer editors. And I think that maybe what we would take from something might be different than uh, someone who isn't. Um, and also, there are things that I know just in my career I've taken either taken or been inspired by from other trailers um, just from watching them. Like, for example, I remember relatively early on in my career, actually very early, what am I talking about? It was probably, you know, only a few years after I was an assistant. I still didn't feel like I had an idea of how accents work. So I would just watch trailers and count the number uh, pieces of music that are in each trailer because I also didn't wasn't really good at doing music stop downs either. So I definitely watched, I think, I remember right now, I was watching, there was like a prison break movie with Schwarzenegger, which actually that would, would have been way after the time I'm talking about. But I just remember that being one of the trailers I was watching and just it had maybe five or six pieces of music in it. And I just wanted to pay attention to either why there was that much music and where it stopped down each time and uh, just reverse engineer the decision making behind that. Not even talking the specifics. I just like to watch trailers and just look at the the music and sound effects. Um, And then from there, just figure out that structure and see if I can either duplicate it or incorporate it somehow into my own stuff. So... To, the, to that kind of bigger point, when you first watch a trailer, do you think you watch it as a film fan and like everyone else who watches trailers, or do you think you immediately start thinking about it in terms of how it was created? Or I think I'm pretty good at just watching it once just for the trailer uh, as, a, as a film fan and someone who's not analyzing it to pieces. And then usually I'll go through the second time because it just it takes energy to think about the editing on that level and maybe go frame by frame or beat by beat in that way. Especially because, you know, a trailer's only two and a half minutes or so. So to pay that close attention while also still trying to consume the information of the story is just too much. I can usually just watch and enjoy it the first time. So if you think, oh, I really could work on this, or you notice something in a trailer that you thought was really kind of worked well, you then go back and say, all right, how have they done that? And and how can I apply that to what I'm doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that I'm thinking I've been thinking about lately is trailers which don't use a lot of accents. Um, so if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, it's just basically when you have a dialogue bit and then maybe the sound effect, you know, blah 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 blah. blah, blah. A lot of trailers I've noticed recently, I think especially indie trailers, seem to be uh, not being as punchy in that way and just moving on from one dialogue bit for to another which in some cases i think can make it feel like a run-on sentence but the ones that i've seen um have felt better so i was almost second guessing myself in some way seeing like oh have we moved on from that structure is this the new thing although interestingly the waves trailer does kind of do that it kind of has line and then it has one of the lyrics kind of poking through as an accent so an accent isn't necessarily like an action bit how you doing with everything i'm good just a sweet word you know it's okay if you're not table is prepared for you. Previously, we've talked about kind of musical brahms that, that exist between lines. And in Bad Boys, it's the bad boys and then and then a bit. But yeah, that kind of run on dialogue is interesting. When you mentioned that, I thought of the, the middle of the Prometheus trailer, where there's a load of lines almost kind of overlapping each other along with a rise as the main character is kind of looking at herself in the mirror and it's kind of intense and something I hadn't seen before. What do you mean a life form? Oh, the head. They're changing. Changing into what? It's moving. New thing's moving. 
Earth. We were so wrong. Take us home! If you don't stop it, they won't get it home to go back to. Where's that door open? Do you do a similar thing as me, like maybe watch it twice and analyze a second time? Or how do you take inspiration? Yeah, well, it's interesting doing it for the for this podcast because I'm kind of looking into more trailers than I normally would. I guess I kind of do it concurrently at the moment, um, unless it's kind of a big property that I'm really excited about. Um, if I'm kind of going in cold, I'll kind of notice maybe kind of one thing that I feel like really inspired me about that trailer as a as a trailer editor so i might my biggest takeaway might be the music or the copy or the cards um or the kind of structure and i'll yeah probably because i can't fit more than that in my brain i'll probably have one big takeaway where i'm like wow you know that was that worked really well or maybe oh that wasn't that successful maybe they could have done something different there but um you know copy that i haven't seen before um a music choice that makes me go oh of course they used that of course they did it's genius um and anything that makes me want to raise my game and be annoyed that I didn't do that. <laughs> right. I just thought of something while you were talking, which was um, I was thinking about how when I used to work at the trailer house, I always admired how um, the editors would just listen to music constantly and then save it in a playlist for later. I think one thing that I'm probably doing when I'm watching trailers is watching the editing style and thinking about those and saving those for later. Um, thinking, oh, I saw this very uh, style of editing that I don't have any projects for which it's appropriate right now, but maybe in the future I'll remember that and think, oh, this is a project where I should be thinking about what they did in this trailer because I think it would fit this particular project. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, a lot of work goes into these things. So if there is a decision that's been made, like a lot of work has gone into it. I know people in the past have literally taken trailers, analysed the structure of them, laid them down on a timeline and almost kind of overcut them, uh, which means kind of putting in bits of the film or project that you're working on that do similar things to that previous structure. I know actually we talked earlier about the Star Trek trailer. I know I had a big blockbuster movie and I definitely put in very similar kind of story beats to that because there's a bit in the Star Trek trailer in the middle where, you know, they kind of say, oh, you know. I've got no captain and no first officer to replace him. Yeah, we do. Uh, and I remember taking pretty much the exact lines from this blockbuster trailer and, and putting them in the middle of my kind of new trailer. And um, just because it was a really great structural journey as a, as a kind of turn, and that didn't necessarily end up being the trailer that I ended up presenting, but it was a, it was a definitely a kind of, we've talked before about ways of starting things, and that was a good way to, to kind of get started. The other thing I think about when I'm watching trailers is how either depending on the editor or depending on the project, everyone figures out a different way of showing a little bit of a bigger thing. Um, if you think about it in terms of like a cake, which the metaphor is used a lot in video game development because people always talk about vertical slices, which is like a very small, totally finished piece. And I think, you know, some trailers, it's as if they slice the cake using the entire top layer. Some people have a vertical slice. Some people have like lots of pieces from all over the cake. Um, and it's really interesting to me how it can work uh, anyway, depending on the project, to give a little specific example, 
I've talked on my blog about the trailer for The Man Who Wasn't There, which if you look at that trailer, the dialogue basically doesn't make much sense at all. There's really no plot at all in that trailer, yet somehow it totally works. And I don't entirely know why. (laughs) (laughs) And whenever that happens to me where I'm like, this works, but I don't know why. I always, I always want to dive into that and say, why does this work? And then how could I possibly do that sort of thing? Because I also, I worry about showing too much all the time, sometimes a little bit to a fault. Um, so I'm always just intrigued to find different ways to, to slice that cake. Life has dealt me some bum cards. Or maybe I just haven't played them right. I don't know. Life is just so damn wonderful, you almost won't believe it. <laughs> they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and me. Keep your mouth shut. I'm an attorney. You're a barber. You don't know anything. I'm not proud of what I did. But you, what kind of man are you? I definitely really appreciate things, especially when uh, uh, things where they have kind of shown that restraint. And maybe it was a process of putting everything in and then kind of knocking it back and saying, you know what, we don't need that, which is definitely part of the process of cutting something. So did the man who wasn't there, was there a clear story or was it just kind of you got the tone? I think it was just the tone. Um, because the dialogue is very abstract. Um, I mean, you get that Billy Bob Thornton is a barber. Sooner or later, everyone needs a haircut. For the kids, there's the butch or the hiney, the flat top, the ivy, the junior contour, and occasionally the executive contour. Me, I don't talk much. I just cut the hair that's about it you don't really know what is his deal what happens to him what happens to the people around him uh and like tony shalhoub's lawyer character i mean just in the film uh is a very eccentric character and his dialogue uh even in context doesn't make that much sense a lot of time but in the terms of the trailer it's just it's just weird enough that it made me think okay what is going on with this you want to test something you know, scientifically, how the planets go around the sun, why the water comes out of the tap. You gotta look at it. But sometimes you look at it, your looking changes it. And of course, the, the cinematography is gorgeous, and there's some really interesting images in there. Well, I mean, maybe that's the best way to do a trailer for a Coen Brothers movie, because I can name, you know, I can name great trailers for Burn After Reading, brilliant trailers, um, Hail Caesar, got fantastic trailers, um, and uh, A Serious Man. You know, these are all kind of great tone piece trailers that don't necessarily lay out a plot or there might be kind of one bit of exposition. But other than that, it's just these kind of eccentric characters doing things and and actually the less you know, the better. So it's that kind of expressionistic editing. Are there, are there other trailers that um, that you like that do do similar things? Yeah, I was just rewatching the trailer for Blind Spotting, which has uh, David Diggs, and it's about David Diggs is a like an ex-con, and he's trying to not go back to prison. And um, I'm not, I don't have a full handle on the the plot from the trailer, but like he has a, f- a friend who seems is very causing a lot of trouble, and also David Diggs witnesses a police uh, shooting. But the very end of that trailer has some very interesting editing where. It's one of those times when it seems like the trailer is um, getting into the head of a character and then using shots from the film to just emphasize things. Every time you come around, you monsters got me feeling like a monster in my own town. 
it's very abstract, but it definitely evokes a feeling of like uh, either danger or some sort of turmoil in his head. And I haven't seen the film, so for all I know, it could be inspired by something that happens. It's not often that a trailer feels like um, it is trying to do very, very, um, like I said, expressionistic editing that is less literal, because a lot of times trailers are very literal in their editing. Um, So that one really made me pay attention. Um, And also another one would be maybe Little Children, which we've talked about before, which um, because it's so uh, light on dialogue and sound effects, it's pretty much just the picture editing in that doing uh, all the work. So I always try to pay attention when... When the editing looks very psychological, I don't know if that means anything. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, arguably Joker is kind of doing a similar thing in terms of getting into the to the characters. I mean, also those kind of trailers speak to when people kind of break the rules as well, and then that's something to notice. And and it's kind of it goes back to what we talked about um, earlier in the podcast about uh, trailer trends and people kind of reacting to things they're seeing, being inspired, and then kind of changing things up. And then you see something new, and you're like, oh, this is you know, this is really cool. And also, you know, that can be trailers that you're kind of reacting to for inspiration and also adverts, music videos. Vimeo is a fantastic source of kind of visual storytelling inspiration. You know, the barriers to making short films compared to 15 years ago are kind of removed and people are doing these incredible like artful um, things that can kind of inspire traders. We talked last week about Madeline's Madeline, um, and I kind of speculated that maybe they did the trailer because someone at some stage of the process loved this kind of conceptual artist's video work and thought, you know what, it's a small film, let's get noticed by doing this kind of amazing visual trailer. Hey, na 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 na. Yeah, I I do often think to myself that I should be looking outside of the trailer world for more inspiration about editing, if it's uh, short films or just um, feature films. But it's just, it's so much quicker to watch trailers. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just, you know, just in general kind of as well, watching great trailer work, um, you know, I love the trailer for Hard Candy, The Social Network, Little Children, we just talked about Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, Go back to trailers of years ago and see if maybe doing something that they were doing then would be original now, you know, Alien, Dr. Strangelove, um, trailers from the 50s. Yeah, yeah. When we were talking about graphics last time and bringing up Dr. Strangelove, I haven't rewatched that trailer in a while, but uh, it's it's just so ahead of its time. Uh, I mean, compared to anything else that was out at the time, just totally different. And even now, if you just put it amongst... Uh, the trailers that are out today, it's still really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, literally that that trailer, if you look at it and consider that they were doing it on film. Cutting out single frames of words and... Just like absolutely incredible. There's another trailer podcast out there called Trailer Geeks and Teaser Gods. Um, and they interview kind of industry veterans. Um, and a lot of them talk about when they started, you know, in the 80s, they were literally kind of, to get flutter cuts, they were literally cutting out frames and then splicing them to other frames and you'd have to send off transitions to labs and it's kind of really interesting looking at what we do now and, and current trailers like Bad Boys and Joker through the frame of what you would have had to do in the old days to kind of achieve it. Yeah, when I hear anything like that it just it blows my mind because I, so well, I went to NYU and I think I was one of the last classes that 
did any sort of hands-on film editing, which it was nearly 20 years ago at this point. Um, but I remember when we were cutting the film and splicing it with tape, how often someone's film would just break. Um, and that whenever someone had a film with very, very small cuts, I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, how did this ever run through the projector without breaking? So imagine doing that for work gives me uh, nightmares. <laughs> Well, there's a reason that, you know, these things were cut slower because, you know, in a way it's kind of good. It's like like we like we said when we were talking about starting the process, you know, limitations are good and that maybe if that fade is going to take a day to come back from the lab, maybe you really think about whether you're going to want to do that fade or not. Um, actually, yeah, just talking about that makes me want to go and watch some trailers from the 80s and 90s just to pay attention to the story structure and just think about how it would have had to been more planned ahead. Uh, and just like done with a, a slower process than than now, you know, give me three versions of a trailer. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, that's that's why there was a lot of voiceover as well, because, you know, it would have been really hard to, you know, I mean, they could have done trailers where they told the story with dialogue back then, but um, it would have taken a lot of time because there's a lot of trial and error in what we do, which is kind of the non-linear editing that we do now enables you to try stuff out. And if it doesn't work, reset and, and you haven't destroyed anything unless your computer doesn't save. <laughs> Um, but back in the day, you know, it was destructive. It would have, it was a real commitment to do something. So in a way, maybe it was easier to, to use voiceover. Right, right. So that's inspiration. Basically, our, our, um, our advice is go out and, and see stuff and absorb as much as you can and um, see ways to kind of subvert it. And uh, yeah. Think about ways that uh, you can slice a cake. No one slices a cake horizontally. Yeah. Someone out there must. I don't know. Uh, okay. So we have one email from Aaron, who said, Hi there, love the show. I'm not involved in the film industry at all, but I've always been interested in the mechanics of trailer editing, and I'm enjoying your discussions immensely. Thank you for catering to my niche interests. I was wondering if you would be able to discuss the use of jump scares in trailers. It's possible that I'm misremembering, but I don't recall seeing trailers with jump scares attached to non-horror films in the theater until a few years ago, and they now seem to be commonplace. The example that sticks out in my mind is when a trailer for The Nun was attached to Mission Impossible Fallout. I know I'm more sensitive to jump scares than some people, and I realize these movies need to be marketed, but I still feel an implicit promise is being broken every time I see a trailer with a jump scare attached to a non-horror film. Are there rules slash guidelines, implicit or explicit, that apply in trailer, in particular to trailers with jump scares, and have they changed over time? And who is actually involved in determining when or where such trailers are shown? Is it the studio, distributor, the theater chain, both? Uh, what considerations do trailer editors make in regards to jump scares? This has been bothering me for years now, so any insight you have would be much appreciated. Thank you for your time, and keep up the great work on the show. Yours, Aaron. There's a whole bunch of questions in there, but first, let's talk about what trailers are attached to films in theaters, which I don't actually know the explicit rules or what the guidelines are. Do you know any more specifics about that? Yeah, it kind of varies. I mean, the the, the biggest thing to this point is that usually they're supposed to be kind of of a kind to the movie that you're seeing. Right. And definitely, yes, you know, we talked before about green bands and red bands and MPAA ratings, you know. In theory, you shouldn't be seeing something that is inappropriate for the movie that you're about to see in the theatre. I remember a couple of articles where people have gone to see kind of Peter Rabbit or something like a, a kid's movie and the trailer for, I think maybe even it, it was The Nun. It happens like every year there'll be a story of like... It's just The Nun that's infiltrating all these films. Maybe that's that's her curse. Is to, um, But yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the problem is that if you're seeing something that's kind of 
closer to R rated but isn't necessarily horror, then there's a high chance you'll be seeing a horror trailer before it. Um, so I think he's, you know, the bigger point there about jump scares, I, I think, just kind of relates to horror trailers in general. Yeah, it could also be that you know, maybe horror trailers are going to come out at a certain time of year, like October, for example. So maybe there wouldn't be other horror films to attach the horror trailer to. I don't know. But yeah, I assume that the connection would usually just be something like, well, it's a PG-13 movie or I don't, and then it's probably rated R. But the trailer might not be, you know, that's another thing as well. You know, you've got a green band trailer that's been sanitized to the point where the MPAA has said, it's okay for PG-13 audiences, even though the film's an R, but, you know, you've still got those kind of jump scares in there. But yes, you're right, there might be there might be less targets, so so you might end up seeing, you know, going to see Shazam on Warner Brothers property and seeing the trailer for, um, you know, Annabelle Comes Home in there, because that's another factor that leans into um, to film releases as well. Often the film companies will try and, when the film companies have a release coming up, that's a big target to get trailers for their other properties in front of whether they can be kind of hard locked to the feature so literally every theater that's showing the movie has the trailer or just kind of recommended and the the projectionist can choose to put it in the reel or 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 not right so like studios will just match up their trailers to their movies especially their the really big ones but also you know to that point to your point about horror movies you know, the studios will try and hit big targets of similar kind of films as well. So, you know, if Aquaman's coming out, you might want to get your trailer for, again, Shazam in front of that because it's a big kind of similar genre movie from the same studio. If you liked this, you might like that. So it's a kind of obvious target. Right, or like putting comedy movies together, of course. Um, but yeah, there, there are probably some other films that are, are less easy to match up with other, with. Uh, things that are already playing. Um, and of course, kids' movies, you're not going to want to show uh, things that are not kids' movies in terms of their trailers. Um, but for in terms of specifically with jump scares, I have never heard of uh, trailer editors either having to change their style or being considerate of maybe like how scary a jump scare is. I mean, I think the MPAA will usually jump in if they think something is too violent uh, or too explicit, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff gets through that is very jump scare uh, filled uh, in terms of trailers. Yeah, and again, you know, for for a theater is a kind of audience where in theory you can kind of guess the ages you know at least the kind of minimum ages of the people you're going for whereas tv is a bit kind of less loose because you don't know who might be watching the tv so stuff kind of plays later um or stuff could be sanitized you know you can have a hard version for kind of online um but then by the time it gets to tv uh similar to what we were talking about last time in terms of punching the or uh, a couple of episodes ago about punching the screen and differences for international markets you might have a a softer version that goes out earlier where those scares are less or those moments of violence are less as well. Right. Whereas for a movie in the theaters, they're going to attach the trailers to it and then just play it all day long. Yeah. Even in front of kids movies, occasionally. (laughs) Topical to this point is that I remember when I was a kid in the movie theater and the, the, the trailers were playing and I saw the trailer for the Friday the 13th part eight, Jason takes Manhattan and the first shot of that trailer was something like, you know, it's the shot of the, the Manhattan skyline, and then uh, the camera pans slowly over to the uh, shot of uh, Jason from the behind. But from behind in that shot, it, it wasn't apparent that it, it was him. And then all of a sudden, it turns into this big, scary trailer, and I was a kid, and I was traumatized, and I hated it. So that's probably one of the the reasons that I remember that as one of the first trailers I saw in theaters. I guess the thing to do is, if you're scared, then kind of work out 
soon into watching the trailer whether you think it's a scary trailer and liable to be jump scares and uh and try and avoid them but then that's the point of a jump scare takes you by surprise so yeah so there's no winning (laughs) no there's no way to win you've just got to rely on the agencies hopefully not targeting you so kind of hope that if you're watching mission impossible they won't put the nun in front of it yeah so i guess the answer is they try but they don't always succeed Okay, so that's our our podcast for this week. Yes, and as always, if you have questions, please send them to us at cutdown at idlethumbs.net. And we're on Twitter at cutdowncast, and I am at Derek underscore Lou. And I'm at Rick Thomas. And yeah, feel free to send us kind of questions. Um, We're happy to to kind of look at people's work. And also, if you've got any ideas for topics that you might want us to talk about or trailers that you might want to get our take on. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we're running out of ideas. <laughs> yes, we're, we're totally dry at this point, 11 episodes in. Um, yes, we're part of the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, join us on the Idle Thumbs forums if you'd like to discuss this episode or past ones. And if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the show so then that we can look exciting when people click on the, the page when they go to it and see, oh my god, this show has so many reviews and they're good and this seems like a thing worth downloading. Uh, at least we hope so. Also, we want to give a thank you to our friends at Twisted Jukebox for our intro music. Thanks for listening. It's next, the snacks makes snows, hey.